Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're off. Um, first things first, Vinny. Yes. Whatever happened to the Brooklyn Dodgers, whatever happened to me, for my money, yeah. is the best thing you've ever written. I fucking love that song so much. Um, I want to know about the inspiration behind it. Is it a personal story? Because it's all heart. Uh, tell me about what that song is about and uh, the writing of it, if you wouldn't mind, to sure. get us yeah. going. Well, thank you for the compliment. Um, I love that song. Um, I haven't sung it in quite some time because we've been in the movie life swing of things lately. Uh-huh. Um, so that song I wrote when I was living in Queens, New York. Um, I was sharing an apartment with uh, Kellen, the bass player of I'm the Avalanche, and uh, he had this classical guitar that he had since high school, and I just remember sitting on our, like, futon... <laughs> And strumming this guitar and finding this new chord that I've never played. I'm not a, I like, I'm a self-taught guitar player. And I found this chord and I'm like, ooh, does that work down here too? Mm. I'm like, ah, and then what if I go to the, oh. And then I was like, this is cool. And it all, I swear it was like, someone had gone in the shower. I think he had gone in the shower and by the time he came out, the song was done. <laughs> and it was one, one of those. those. Just one of those moments that just pours out of you, right? Yes. And, um, this, you know, the imagery and the verses when it starts is I look at a graveyard while I'm in the shower, which is 
the shower that was right next to the couch that I was on. Uh, the window in the shower looked down on this little very old graveyard from like the Gangs of New York kind of era. You what know a what movie, I mean? right? What an underrated movie that <laughs> it's is. It's an amazing movie. Um, that's what it always reminded me of. And so I look at a graveyard while I'm in the shower and I sing my songs. You know, you just... Starting my day? Yeah. yeah. You sing your songs in the shower. I don't sing my songs. I just sing <laughs> the songs that I like to sing. And um, yeah, in that building, the, the in the morning, we would never get hot water because everyone's showering for work at the same time. Not so that's there. the reference of, you know, the, um, I don't know if you wanted me to go this in depth. No, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, the line which particularly gets me is, uh, whatever happened to the New York gentleman, my father said, you son, you're looking at one. Right. I guess it's, uh, um, my father grew up in Brooklyn, New York, going to see the Brooklyn Dodgers. Obviously, um, it's, it's, you know, there's a bit of poetry in there. I'm not really asking like what happened to the Brooklyn Dodgers. We know that they left and went to LA. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it's Case whatever solved. happened to the Brooklyn Dodgers, whatever happened to the guys like, you know, to the old New York. Um, and I didn't grow up in the old New York. I just kind of live it through my father. And so you heard uh, those grandfather stories and you were like, as I do as well, you get that romantic sense of mm-hmm. the past. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's really the gist of it is, um, yeah, romanticizing the past and, um, and like, you know, I like, and singing about my dad and, and he's a good dad and, uh, brought me up well. And he, I never sung about him. So I know he liked that song too. Is he around still? He's around. Yeah. 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 yeah, So he's seen you sing it live and. Oh yeah. They'll come out to shows. Um, I'll tell them which shows are the comfortable ones to come out to. If we're playing some like punk club where there's no seats, yeah, I'll yeah, say, yeah. you know, wait till we play the bigger place with the balcony <laughs> and stuff. Um, but yeah, he really got a kick out of that song. I talk about, you know, he tells me stories about back when he was a hippie and all that stuff. It's all very real. Yeah. It's all just stream of consciousness thinking, but at the same time, it's all just, you know, the blood that runs through me kind of thing. And, uh, you know, he was a hippie dude, and he went to this hippie art school. He's an artist. Um, Is that where the songwriting and the artistry in you comes from, you think? I think maybe. Um, I, I, it must be. We don't... There's He He played music a bit, uh, and he was involved. He was a big-time music, you know, fan. Yeah. Um, so a lot of records what, in the house growing up. Yeah, yeah. Stole, I've stolen some of them, and I kind of <laughs> keep them around because he doesn't use them anymore. Some original Beatles pressings Dude, and the band nice. and stuff like that. They're Pretty all in cool. terrible shape. All right. But uh, they're fun to smell. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, everyone says it, but there really is nothing like just getting that needle and dropping it down on one of those original mm-hmm. vinyls. I try and always buy original. Mm-hmm. If you're buying a new record, of course, it's going to be new. But if you're getting anything sort of... 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s, it's got to be original. Otherwise, what's the point? I, I completely agree. Without and being a vinyl snob. No, I no. And that's I'm the not, way you got to do I'm not a it. vinyl snob either. Um, I wouldn't even consider myself to be a vinyl collector. But um, even those warped Beatles records that are kind of floating on a tilt, 
they still sound good to me. Mm-hmm. Well, in uh, all Tarantino's films, every song he uses is an original record of his, mm. and he makes sure that you know all the crackles and the imperfections that are on the record go in the soundtrack for the film because that, for him, is again the magic of that moment. Right, right. I can definitely and the power of that when it's matched with that, you know, the right shot, the right angle. He's the, the right, master of yeah. that, isn't he? Right scene, right song. I mean, how many songs do you think would not be familiar in the pop? the consciousness were it not for him little green bag stuck in the middle with you dick dale mizaloo all those songs i mean nobody really knew outside of the cult sort of niche musical communities that were into those genres right no one knew those songs especially now it's easier than ever to just go boop 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 and be like and be it'll be in your ears in a minute and then it's your new favorite song Mm -hmm. till you die you know um yeah i love that so yeah, he. My dad was a um, an artist. He still is an artist. He always. I didn't really listen to him. He said always have a backup plan, have a backup plan, and uh, music's been my thing. And um, but his backup <coughs> plan was being an art teacher. So he went and taught art, and he retired. But yeah, back in his day, he grew up on the streets of South Brooklyn, fighting, like fighting, fighting <laughs> a lot. And he was just a, you know, him and his little street gang of friends would fight the other neighborhoods. and oh, Like warriors. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, the way he made it sound when we were growing <laughs> up, um, like his nose doesn't look right because he's just been in too many fights. and Been broken so many times. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he was, he, he eventually turned into like a hippie and he went to Woodstock but didn't get there because... The streets were backed up for yeah, yeah. hundred miles, so he just ended up sitting on top of a car. On I a bet he still time. had a good time, though. Yeah, um, I guarantee he did. Yeah, <laughs> I might have to get more details on like you got it. You reach a certain age, and you're like, so tell me about that time now, Dad. Yeah, now that I'm in, my dad my... told me when I was about 21 that he took LSD in the army when he was fighting in Belfast, mm-hmm. and I was like, if I was, I've never done acid. I love mushrooms. I've never done acid, but if I was going to do acid, it would not be in a war zone. Oh, absolutely <laughs> right? not. Yeah, I would probably have very strong drinks, but oh no, I, I wouldn't even. I mean, there's been times when I've you know nibbled on mushrooms and gone out to a pub and been like nope too much and right you got you to know. be secluded in nature in a safe space yeah maybe a nice fire right yeah. here a few close friends chosen companions yeah 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 yes, no strangers um, <laughs> yeah I, you know I, I i enjoy mushrooms uh every once in a while and i actually took a very long break break from mushrooms because the last time i ate mushrooms before the break right before i think an 8 year break was I took mushrooms and I was in Brooklyn and I took mushrooms with really close friends and then they were like let's go here like we were just hanging out listening to music my friend had a roof deck looking at the city perfect no why why are we going anywhere end up in a park he bumps into some other friends next thing we know there's 20 people around a circle half of them aren't on mushrooms I don't know this fool uh Spinning you out. Ambulances flying by. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, well, let's go here. I'm like, all right, well, how are we going to get there? Let's take the train. The train? No. <laughs> I don't like taking the this train. This is a bad spirit guide. Yeah, let's take the subway. Let's get on the subway and get really uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable on the subway anyway, every day. Sober. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I took a little break because I was like, maybe you need to like choose the right place and time and maybe and you company. Know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It makes it right. It's make or break. Yeah. Nowadays, I just every once in a blue moon, a cap and a stem. 
I don't want to trip on mushrooms anymore. Too much to think about. Yeah. I don't know. I like taking a cap in a stem in the woods, like you said, in nature, mm-hmm. and then having it wind down and me say, well, that was nice. Go to bed. Not like sit there in bed going, please wear off. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, those days are behind me for sure. Dude, tell me about growing up in Long Island and what the hell was in the water in that area at that time because obviously so many bands kind of just in such a short space of time came out of there and it seemed from the outside looking in like a proper scene. Was it? What was your experience of that place? It was a proper scene. At that time. Um, So I was, my first taste of it was when I was around 12 years old. Uh, I have two older brothers who were in this kind of flourishing, they were going to shows and one of my brothers played in a band. So that's how I got started, going to see my brother's band. And those were the only shows I was allowed to go to at that age because my mother knew that my brothers would be there to make sure I didn't, you know, I was taken care of, so. Which I don't think my brothers loved. I think they like- cramping their style. That was their time and I started, I, I think I pushed really hard. And finally, there I was just like, I really, I gotta go. I gotta, you know, it was all I cared about. So, um, there were there were a group of bands um, playing around that time. I suppose it was like ninety one, ninety two, or something. When I went to my first show, and um, it was crazy. Like, it was the first time I saw moshing. Um, and a lot of these bands were hardcore bands or anything of the like, like, you know, when, and they were young, these, a lot of these guys are still in high school making this music, but like the bands that were happening on Long Island, a lot of people don't know because they didn't get out of Long Island as much as I think they could have. But there's a band called Mind Over Matter that was really important um, to us, really ahead of their time, progressive hardcore band. Um, Vision of Disorder is a band that people might know. Yep. Um, those guys are from my town. Those are like my older brother's best friends. So they were always around. So then I started going to see Vision of Disorder shows because I was allowed to go there because my parents knew them. And then um, bands like Silent Majority, uh, huge influence. And, and you would have all the members of... Of uh, or the future members, you could say, of all of the next wave of bands um, that all did kind of tour a bunch and get out here, especially is like, you know, we, you'd find all those members in the crowd for all of these bands. And so here we talking. We're talking like Taking Back Sunday, Glassjaw, like Daryl, Adam. Oh yeah, that's guys. how me and Daryl became friends. Right. Um, I saw him at a few shows and we were like the only 12 year olds <laughs> and I was like you know we're kind of who's this guy yeah yeah and then uh so we didn't meet each other for like the first few shows because we were just awkward kids like you don't just go up to someone and say hey what's up man like let's be friends you know so yeah Daryl I was like fishing in my town at this at these docks and Daryl pulled up with his like uncle and I was wearing an anthrax shirt, and he was just like, you like anthrax? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I like persistence in time. I don't really listen to anything else. <laughs> I just like, ha- I listened to whatever one anthrax record my brother had. And I'm like, do you like anthrax? He's like, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm like, you go to shows, right? I think I've seen you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
from that second, it was just like me and Daryl will go to will go to gigs together, um, and uh, we went to a lot of shows together. And I, I, it was very cool to watch Glassjaw grow. I mean, I'll bet, first right? time I saw them. They weren't called Glassjaw. They were called Minority Overall. Um, Daryl was singing. Justin was playing drums. Um, who the hell else was playing in the band? I don't remember who else was playing in Minority Overall, but they turned into Glassjaw. You know, so I watched them for, like grow from the basements into a worldwide, you know, the beloved group. And was it obvious early on they were going places? Did they have that special thing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would go and see them on Long Island. It, it, it caught fire. Um, it used to be our thing, and uh, as far as, like, me and our group of friends, me and Daryl, a bunch of buds, that a bunch of people that lived in our surrounding areas that we also came together through hardcore and stuff. And, um, yeah, really... Uh, really really cool time and uh we we watched them go from the basements and we were the ones singing along and then suddenly you're kind of like who are all these people singing along to our friends you know um so it yeah it once it, it really turned into a massive thing like one month there was a hundred people and then maybe a few months later there was 500 people and then they put out the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang EP and um, started getting more steam. And then Ross Robinson came in and signed them. And how that how was did he become crazy. aware of them? Do you know? Was it just through the sort of um, word of mouth of their shows, or did he get hold of that EP? Or do I you know? You'd have to ask them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember, but I remember them being like... Because he's LA-based, didn't he? So he's like the opposite side of the country. Yeah, and he was in the new metal thing. Like mm-hmm. he, was, he was in the forefront of the new metal thing. And Glassjaw, um, they always had an edge to them, but it was always just the way young bands are, where it's like super melodic and not heavy at all. And then you're screaming, and then, you know, it's just kind of... You haven't found your form yet. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, those guys, I remember them being like, yeah, we're we're doing all these demos and and they were just doing all these demos and it was happening. Like all of our friends were like, dude, these songs are crazy. And these were the songs that ended up being their first full length and I was just like, we all knew it was special. Like once we started hearing those demos, we knew it was more than just a Long Island thing. You yeah. know, this was going to be a thing. And then I didn't know who Ross Robinson was. Um I wasn't listening to new metal. I, I listened to Sepultura and stuff, and I think he did Roots. Yeah, he did. But um, I didn't know that. Yeah, so yeah. I was. I remember being like, "Who's that?" And they're like, "Well, he did Sepultura and Corn and what Limp Bizkit, Limp Bizkit and Slipknot." Yeah, Slipknot, and we like Slipknot. And I was like, "Oh, that guy. That's big. That's a big deal." So, yeah. Um, that was a really exciting time to see your friends to see your friends like really doing it and stepping up to a crazy level from that from kiss kiss bang bang to everything you ever want to know about silence wow mm-hmm. i think even roadrunner and ross and the people that signed them were probably like shit i didn't realize that was gonna <laughs> you know I, I don't know if anybody realized how killer it was going to be but i think that's what happens when somebody puts their trust in you and somebody signs you and you get all excited you're like yo we need to step up yeah right? we need to step it up i guess we need to like get pro you know what about taking back sunday what was their sort of evolution so taking back sunday the movie life um was started by eddie reyes from taking back sunday right so 
he, I was actually singing a song with, it's all very incestuous. I was singing a song with Daryl in a basement uh, somewhere out east on Long Island. There was this song, um, I can't remember what it was. I haven't heard that record in years. There was a song that had like two vocals, like, like answering each other. Like, so he would invite me to sing it with him and I was just his friend that could kind of carry a tune. I didn't really know what I was doing. And Eddie saw me. Eddie was from a band, Clockwise, at the time. And um, Eddie was like, I want you to try out for this band I'm starting. And I was like, I'm not really, you know, I never really thought about it. So you didn't have that in your sights at this point? You were just a fan? I was just happy being part of the scene. I had a bunch of good friends go play shows, have fun. Um, I was playing a lot of soccer or football, whatever we want to call it. I don't like calling it football because then I feel like a poser because I'm American. <laughs> You're trying too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, Be true to you. Yeah. Um, so I had other stuff and I had a life outside of hardcore. But um, So what were you doing for a, a career, if you want to call it that at this point? There was just doing nothing. I was just... still young. Right. Um, I had just graduated high school maybe a month um, a month after I graduated high school is when Eddie started being like, you should come down and try out for this band. And that, that, that was very important to me because I did get excited and I was like, maybe I can do this. And so um, I just tried it. Um, and I was going to university and I went into university and, um, quickly became very disinterested. I I didn't really want to go to school. Um, my father was like, you're going to school. Okay. And, uh, so I went, I went for business because my father was like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. I I was very aimless. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just kind of like, uh, uh, maybe own a restaurant sounded sounded good at the time sounded like an answer that appeased my father too so he's like okay so go to school for business and i'm just like okay and i got to school for business i'm not saying i have adhd or all those things i'm not saying i i don't but i had a very hard time paying attention in school in high school i remember asking my father if i could drop out of high school um how did that conversation go He's like, he's like, just toughen up and just finish up. Like, you know, um, I don't think he took it seriously at all. I think he was just like, cause I just couldn't handle math. Math was tough. So then I went into university and half of the business school classes are math. So I started dating a girl that was going to school with Daryl and, uh, basically just dropped out. I didn't drop out. I stopped going to class and didn't tell my parents and was kind of living upstate at their school hanging out with them i had a friend who did that for three years oh god and at the end of it his dad was like so when's your graduation ceremony and he's like about that (laughs) Mm. that is like (laughs) they paid paid his rent for three years and everything oh god (laughs) he was just racking up student loan debt digging a deeper hole yeah um that's like that that nightmare where you uh the nightmare where you you wake up and you didn't study for the test and you're not in school anymore at all. Yeah. You're 30 years old and you have that <laughs> that nightmare where you go to school. And that's an actual reality. Yeah, when three you're, years. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, and I just started fading out of the school thing and getting more interested in the bands. And the band wanted to start touring, and I was like, cool. And I talked to my parents about it, and they were really cool about it. Um, and that was the grind forever. It was just work. You know, I was working whenever I came home. Tour. I was. Li- we were all all the band all the bands that you listed, all the bands from Long Island. We were all living with our parents. A lot of us were living with our parents well into our like mid twenties because we were just on tour, so we couldn't. And it's a waste of money, right? If you're paying rent on a flat that you're not there half the year. Exactly. So uh, yeah, a lot of us were just stayed on the road and worked hard, you know, and kind of lived that life, you know. Let's talk about the breakup, if you don't mind. What oh, yeah. happened with you and Brandon? Did you was that kind of an amicable split? Was there certain tension and difficulties going on towards the end why was the decision made to call time in what was it 2003 2003 yeah um we had been touring so much the only times that we'd be home is if we were recording and we didn't record in new york so we weren't really home and so i think it was just this it's like it's one of those it's not an exciting story. It's not like There's salacious. No drama. Damn it! It was kind of well. There was drama, there was. but that drama was just us being burnt out and being yeah. sick of each other and wanting to get away from each other. And you know, in fairness, you touring know, will do that, won't it? Yeah, it will. And and drifting apart, like creatively, kind of like certain dudes are more into this kind of stuff now, and certain dudes don't want to do this. And I remember being like, "Let's do like, I wrote a song," and it's like fast and they're like no like i've been listening to a lot of wilco <laughs> and i'm just like Ugh. so like we just started butting heads did all of you write um we would jam on stuff but primarily um the first record the revelation record was um a lot of the writing was alex who a lot of people wouldn't know because he quit the band yeah, before yeah. we gained popularity um and brandon and then from after that like from then on um brandon really took the 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 reins and um so it kind of turned into uh brandon would cook up a song we would tweak it a bit uh and then i would write the lyrics and the melodies um and so this is the first record where Brandon and I wrote all the music together. This new one. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and you wrote. can hear that. It's kind of like an amalgamation of what you've been doing in this sort of time apart from movie life with what makes movie life movie life. If that makes sense, it's kind of like yeah. an amalgamation of all these past, present, and... Yeah, and it should be that. And uh, it, was, it, it was difficult at times to get to that because we didn't know what we were supposed to be. Let me ask you this, dude. Was it a trip after 13 years of not being in a studio together? Are you then trying to like rediscover the identity of, of the band, of movie life, and what it is and what it should be now? Well, you know, Brandon and I are the only original members in the movie life. And um, so it was a different experience. Um, but a lot of that figuring out was taking place in the writing process so we hashed all that out when we got in the studio we knew what the record was going to sound like right um which is helpful which is why you put the work in i mean you could go in the studio and figure it out but, but you might piss a lot of money away <laughs> yeah and you might not walk out with a record yet um so yeah we worked really hard on it so we hashed all that stuff out very early on was part you know, of the writing also part of you two reconnecting as people as well 
and Absolutely. did that feed uh, into the songs and the yeah it really did just let that guy go past there we go yeah <laughs> yeah it really did it was um when we decided to do shows again you know we did shows before we even thought about making more music and um he and i reconnecting was the reason that the movie life reformed um was there one thing that sort of sparked that interest in you two to to reform the band was it one catalyst or was it just more of like a kind of natural organic now the time's right let's get in the time felt very right and we did in 2011 we thought the time was right and we got back together and played like two shows and we were all like no the time isn't right we we were busy with our stuff um and the time came when i'm the avalanche all the guys wanted to be home they didn't want to tour as much um I still had the hunger to do it and make records. Brandon was in the same position. So, yeah, we just hung out in the park one day. We took his son to the park. We're playing, and we just kind of reconnected. Um, you know, we would text here and there, but we just hadn't hung out. We have different lives. Brandon, like, he's got his family, and he doesn't live in the city anymore and all that. So, Are you a dad? I'm not. I don't have any kids. Um so married did i see a ring yeah i'm married i got married uh this past july congratulations Uh, thank you yeah i'm really pumped um how does that change your life does it give you newfound focus purpose grounding yeah it gives me um there's like this new warmth i don't know sometimes sometimes i don't i don't know we all have our like quirks and we all live inside our own faces and it's not um i don't know i guess i get sick of myself and now there's a new glow um it's an amplified thing you know i've been with my wife for eight years so it's not like we you know i met her when she was going to school in new york and we were friends for seven years and then we started dating seven years after we met i got married when i was 27 when that fell through and that didn't work out there it was, and I started dating my who's now my wife. So history, um, man. Yeah, so I just kind of walk around. I feel really proud to wear the ring. She's really a wonderful, wonderful person. So she makes me better. Nice. That's what you need. Yeah. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, but Brandon's obviously got the full family thing, which is its own. Yeah, he's got two boys. He's got a lovely wife. They live outside of the city in a little river town in the Hudson River Valley. He's got quite the life up there. And his wife is always like, so, when are you moving up here? <laughs> so, well, I don't Get know. a little studio in between the two houses. <laughs> oh, golly, that would be so nice. Yeah, yeah. Where were you know, doing the writing? So we were doing it there in Tarrytown. Um, so you know the legend of Sleepy Hollow. I do. Only from the Tim Burton film. That's the depth of my insight. So Okay, so the, that story in. was written about uh, written by, who the hell? Oh, Washington Irving, I think. So it's, it was like written up there, and it was about this town called Sleepy Hollow, um, which really didn't exist. Um, the town now exists because I think they wanted to capitalize on the tourism and stuff. Uh, you can imagine how it is going up there in the fall. There's lots of festivities and stuff. But he lives in that area, in Tarrytown, Sleepy Hollow. And, uh, so we would go, th- I would go there and we would write there and he would come to me and we would write in my living room 
just as little change of pace or if his family was going to be out for the day or if like wherever we were going to have privacy, you know? Yeah. Um, so back and forth between Brooklyn and Tarrytown. Nice. Mm. And was it a uh, jovial, upbeat, kind of positive experience, the recording? Was it just like two kids kind of like mucking around and yes, rediscovering uh, past friendships? and Yeah, a great time. Um, I remember not starting like in the studio until like noon or one in the past. We were starting at like nine. Like we would just get out of bed and just walk down in our pajamas and like do work before we even like brushed our teeth and took showers and got dressed. Like we would do that work and then be like, okay, I'm going to get ready for the day now because that work sometimes was the, the, you know, so effective and just perfect stuff and the vibe. I don't know. I think there's different sort of creative vibes that come out in certain points of the day. And we ended up scrapping songs that we were sure were going to be on there. Like the song that was going to be, first on the record is now eighth the song that was going to be fifth is not not even a song you know and a lot of creativity happened in the studio um we were writing songs um and that's important this was right around the time the tail end of the writing into the recording because the writing i didn't expect to write in the studio but we ended up writing like two or three songs in the studio was happening like so the tail end was after i got home from some solo touring it was like okay november december january is like it this is like you know we got to finish it now and that was right when donald trump was elected um inauguration day was like the day before we went into the studio wow so we had a lot to think That's about a unique yeah context in which to be going in isn't it there's a lot of feelings and things sprinkled kind of all over the record um if you listen closely of just where we are as americans in 2017 or 2016 or you know um let me ask you this dude because i've tried to ask a couple of people but they never quite seem to get the question in the way that i mean being a new yorker you must remember trump from pre-politics as just like this kind of local mm -hmm. tycoon figure mm -hmm. right because he was kind of notorious years ago yeah he was always a celebrity like you don't you, you wouldn't know the rich guys in the city but you knew donald trump because he was a socialite kind of guy. He liked to be in the papers. He liked people to know his name. He liked to put his name all over buildings. Were the people of New York ever endeared to him? Was he ever popular? Mm, I, maybe certain people got a kick out of him in a tabloid sense. Um, I just remember him being just a loudmouth, you know, kind of brash kind of guy, um, flaunting money. I know, you know, I, I would always just be like, he's that rich, loud womanizer guy. Yeah. That's all. And then he ended up having the show The Apprentice. And that was basically how the rest of America were like, oh, well, because like he had casinos and stuff. So like people would know the name Trump because he had his name on the casinos. But like, I think the rest of America and just your everyday guy got to really know Trump through The Apprentice that like, you know, scripted reality TV show. Mm -hmm. And now he's the president and it's like the worst thing. It's ever. mental, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> embarrassing. It's a true American embarrassment. Um, it's, it's, 
yeah, to to be American right now is a weird feeling. So I don't know. Life's life's fucking weird. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's not just you guys. We have it here too. Yeah, that same <laughs> sentiment, that new world order of just yeah. old shitty racism and yeah. rich folks being like, "All right, we gave you your time for progress. We're gonna turn back the clock now." Yeah. You know? It's like the eighties all over again, isn't it? sucks but even more like the 80s on steroids uh hopefully and i'm yet to see it though but hopefully some good art will come of it some great music will come of it Mm. but i'm yet to see really engaging striking powerful political art in the music world that i'm around and working in which is weird because you'd think that so many more either old established bands or newer bands would be confronting that and yeah and there's nowhere like as much as i would like there to be I guess I guess it really depends on where that writer is coming from, you know. For the movie life we were never a political band. Yeah. So the subject the subject matter on the new record was a stretch for us. Um it's not on the nose, but it's there. You know, that's that that record is for anti flag to write. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Not and us. They just we're happened. not gonna it's be great. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, we're yeah. not we're not <clears throat> we're not going to be something that we're not. Yeah. Do we care? Yes. Are we writing about it? Yes. But we're doing it in our own way. And But, I mean, there might be something to be said about we all get that pounded into our heads all day. Maybe, like, maybe certain writers who you might expect to write 10 songs straight up about politics and, and all that, maybe they're thinking, geez... I want to break from this. Yeah, maybe. Because you can't escape it, can you either? I mean, in the digital age, I want to listen to. I don't want to listen to a political record right now. I, as much as I don't want to sit there and read all this shit every day, I do because I need to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I just, I just need to know where we're at. Um, But I don't want to put on a political record. It's 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 being jammed down our throats every day. We're we're it's super oppressive in, yeah. in America right now. It's rough. What's uh, it like in the sort of new, the news and media sector over there? So, is there any ob- objectivity in the press whatsoever at the moment? Well, CNN and that kind of left leaning, if you will, the, those kind of places are reporting all of his malfeasance and reporting very, very closely on the Russian investigation right now. These guys are guilty. A lot of these guys are going to jail. Um, Easier said than done, obviously. Now there's Fox News on the other side of things where when something blatantly obvious is brought up, like something that him or his people or anybody is up to, it's either not reported on a Fox News. And they feed they feed the right wing, the right side. They feed them whatever they you know. It's basically propaganda. Yeah, not um, even like thinly veiled either. Not at all. So <laughs> you have one half of the country who is informed, and the other half of the country is just. Listen, you know, listen, we're being fed what we're being fed to. And I'm not saying that the media is, you know, the left wing, the, the left leaning media is, you know, not, is unbiased. But it, it, it's almost like when something happens and you go, 
Yeah, this is really gonna fuck him up. This is really gonna get them. Even if it's stone-cold facts, half the country's like, fake news. Yeah. Because our boy Don... Well, that's says, his, he says fake news. That's his genius is yep. so much of the news is fake, but he's kind of made that his own thing and he's yep. kind of twisted yeah. the fakeness of it in favor of his that's the, bullshit that's agenda. straight out of the fascist handbook. Yeah, straight up. So we just have to smash that <laughs> every chance we get. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Can I ask you this? Um, if you want to go down this rabbit hole with me, I'd appreciate it, but no worries if not. Um, 9-11, it seems like obviously a long time ago now, but um, again, as a New Yorker, mm-hmm. what was your memory of that event that day? So we were on tour... Uh, playing, a sh- we played a show. I don't know I remember where we played the night before, but we stayed in a hotel room in Connecticut and turned on the television. And there it was, or maybe someone texted or something. I was like, "Look, turn the TV on." Turned on the TV, and uh, both towers were on fire at the time. We had no, we didn't even like so difficult to register what was going on um complete shock i used to work down there because my uncle has a business down there had a business down there and my older brother worked for him and i worked with them when i was home sometimes from tour so my immediate reaction was to call the office because i mean whenever i would 
I would do deliveries for them, like office equipment and stuff, drive a van around the city. And I mean, we were in the shadows of the Trade Center, so um, I called them. My uncle answered the phone, hysterical. Uh, you know, and it kind of... I heard the hysteria over the phone, and it wasn't just on the TV anymore. We literally, like, woke up out of bed. So it just didn't register. And then our immediate reaction was... We need to get home. We need to get home. So we drove straight south. There's a ferry in Connecticut that'll take you to Long Island where we lived. And this was before anyone knew how to deal with terrorism in the, on, on this scale, um, in New York at least. And so we were lucky to get home because, I mean, they closed down everything, but we got on with a van and trailer onto a ferry onto Long Island, Un didn't search the trailer. After that, it was like every truck that went through every toll, even now, like there's cops at the crossings where they'll wave you over and ask you to open up the back of the truck, open up the back of the trailer. We got on a... Um, we got on the ferry, and then we got off the ferry and drove down the Southern State um, Parkway, which br would bring us home, and you could see the smoke. And we don't live close. We, we grew up about 25 miles from the Trade Center, probably. And you could see the smoke just in the way distance. And we were like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. You just can't compute it, you no. know? And I mean, I don't know. I was young. And it was just like, I wasn't ready who, who was, but I got home. My brother, my older brother who worked down there, who was down there, he had to run over the bridge. So everyone just ran out of their buildings and ran over the bridge to Brooklyn. I think that he ran over the Manhattan Bridge because that, that bridge is over there. And found his way home. I don't remember how we got home from the city because I'm sure the trains were fucked. But he, I was at my parents just trying to understand what happened. And then he walked in and he was, I don't, he was definitely very upset. And not, I've never seen him like that. And, uh, it, you know, it just kept sinking in and sinking in. So then he was telling us his story. And then he got a call that our boy, his brother, went up into the tower, and he didn't come. To, he didn't come back, and they couldn't find him. So that was when it became really, really real. So, how as a city do you move on from something like that? I mean, there's such a strength of character in New York, isn't there? It's such a resilient and. But something like that, I mean, what did it feel like living in the city in the months that followed? Did I was living on Long Island. Did you a strange Island. sense of pride to be a New Yorker in the way that everybody pulled together and dealt with it? Was there any of sort of like silver lining to any of it? Yeah, there was the let's get tough, let's, let's be us type of thing. I was a Long Island kid. I was still living on Long Island, so I wasn't in it. Um, but it was our city still, and we were going there still. Um, 
we gave it some time before we went back in. I mean, they, they didn't, the city was closed before below 14th street, which is where any of us would spend time. Um, they say that the city, you know, it's such a big city, like how the hell do you run into so many people? And it's like, yeah, but nobody hangs out above 14th street. So it's not that big a city, you know, nobody hangs out above, at least nobody I was hanging out with was hanging out below canal or above 14th street. So they had the shit locked down for a while. Um, you could only get past like the police lines if you could show proof of residence to get into your place if you were cleared to go back to your place. And it just became this normal thing that you just kind of get used to. And the cleanup and the, the names keep coming and the death toll keeps rising and the anxiety keeps rising and the feeling that things are never going to be the same solidifies and yeah it's really you know i probably haven't come to terms with it still you know i don't even know how you do wrap your your brain around that um yeah and i you know a lot of people from long island perished and it was like the closest one to us was our boy, Matt, um, his older brother, who I didn't know because he was like, I was the youngest of that whole like gang and he was the oldest, like he was older than my older brother's friends. So I didn't even know him, but it was, you know, Matt, who's one of my big brother's best friends, who's still a very close friend now. Like the, it was just, it was like his pain, you know, that we felt, you know. And just the grand scheme of everything. Was there any desire to leave, to move, to uproot? Or was that not an option? It didn't cross my mind. Um, we were on our little Long Island bubble. You know, we were, I was what, 21 maybe when it happened? Something like that. So I still live with my parents moving wasn't an option for me yeah um i was still getting paid 50 dollars a week to be in a band <laughs> playing people's basements and stuff um so no no i don't know anybody that moved out of new york after that nobody everyone stuck around new york is home it's hard enough to move out of new york i still haven't moved out it's hard growing up in new york growing up anywhere and having all your friends and family be there and leaving and wondering what all right so now I'm sitting in this new place without all those people what do I do now you know that's hard enough anywhere but New York is one of those places that you know people flock to and people feel like they need to be and visit and it's because New York's just got something so it's compounded the 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 feeling that you want to leave <laughs> Even like if you wanted to leave, I wouldn't mind trying living somewhere else. Me and my wife talk about it sometimes, but we never really have an answer to where that would be. We have two different trains by our apartment to take us wherever we want to go. If we go, she's from Texas. Say we move to Texas. We have to buy two cars. <laughs> we'll have to like, you know, I don't know. What do you do? Uh, I'd spend we'd spend all the money that we would because it is expensive as shit to live where we live but we'd spend all that money that we were saving going home back to New York yeah so 
<laughs> Let me ask you this, dude. As a New Yorker, how do you wind up supporting Liverpool FC? Mm. How does that happen? Believe it or not, I get asked that question a lot when, I'm, really? here, when I'm here. I think it's yeah. just because whenever you meet an American who's really passionate about football, it's like, why? That's so interesting. Mm. Um, the answer is, I suppose... <clears throat> We wouldn't see matches. Um, we would see replays of matches. And this is like, like when you're a kid, you know, I would just, I, pl- I grew up playing. So I was always interested. If it was on TV, I would watch it. Uh, I wouldn't know what the standings were in the league. I wouldn't know what the game meant. Um, I wouldn't know. I didn't probably even understand the the top tier or all the tiers of English football and I didn't understand any of it I just watched games and it looked great to me because it was best the best of the best players and they would show us the big clubs um, on like a sports channel at like 12 midnight Liverpool versus United and it's like oh cool yeah like and you know Liverpool and you know Manchester you you, you know the, about those places a little bit and then um you know, Liverpool was always just the nature of the club, always kind of sung to me. And, Struck um, a chord, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was uh, I was definitely had an aversion to Steven Gerrard. I, he was my favorite player. And um, slowly it was like, well, I guess I like Liverpool. Um, it's only been like... I used to watch... The premier, you know, it's only been ten years probably since it's been easy for us to watch, and when it became like, oh, I can watch this every morning on the weekends. It's morning. I mean, it's seven a.m. because it's around our lunchtime, isn't it? Usually the games. Yeah, three p.m. kickoff uh, or a noon kickoff will be seven. Three p.m. kickoff will be ten. Um, so it's a nice, little fun easier way to in start the midweek the matches. Champions League and FA Cup is probably like a two thirty between two thirty and three o'clock kickoff, which yeah, is yeah. a lot nicer. Um, especially when you set your alarm and your team plays like shit, and then you're <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're tired and you're you're uh, frustrated, and your your whole weekend is kind of thrown off. Um, so you're fully behind it in that sense that if your team, if Liverpool lose, you're like, oh man. I get bummed Proper when Liverpool is not playing well. Um, I get bummed, but I don't let it ruin my life. Uh, certain <laughs> there are days, people that do, aren't there? When we didn't win the league in uh, 2013, I was bummed uh, because I started to believe that it was going to happen. Uh, I think a lot of people started to believe it was going to happen. Um, that was upsetting. But then I looked at the... I looked at as soon as I kind of stepped back from that I'm like holy shit but we're back in the Champions League I had a great time watching them Liverpool that's one thing about Liverpool is there's a, there's never a lack of excitement and if there is the next game they'll win 7 nothing, and like you're back in it you know um, I'm really excited about Liverpool right now I'm having a great time watching them it seems like they're kind of kind of catching a groove right now and playing some I don't know just very very fierce attacking stuff so I love it I'm actually gonna go and watch them play on Saturday nice at Anfield at Anfield this will be my third yeah love it this will be my third match at Anfield they haven't lost I was just telling a friend of mine I gotta go they don't lose when when I go (laughs) 
And he's like, well, who have you seen them play? I'm like, well, I've seen them play Norwich, <laughs> Stoke City. Stoke's, Stoke's never easy. Uh, and now it'll be Southampton. And it is true. Like, maybe it'll work out for me. Because if I always go and see the play, they always perform at Anfield. If I always see them play at Anfield. And what I always do is I choose a game that's not going to be... I don't, I don't kid myself and think I'm going to get a ticket for a derby or something like that. So it is easier for me to get hold of a ticket. We have friends in Liverpool, and somebody's dad might, might say, yeah, I'm not going to go to the Stoke match or something. So we, we'll get a ticket somehow through, through friends. Yeah. So I never have tried to see them play a top team because I knew that it, was always, it would be more realistic for me to be able to watch them play like a, a smaller club. And see them win. Yeah, so yeah, so it works out. <laughs> I was raised a Manchester United fan because my dad is a uh, lifelong hardcore Man United fan. Oh, nice. And um, one of my earliest memories is I was begging my parents to get me a Liverpool shirt for mm. Christmas. And my dad was like, I can't buy him a Liverpool shirt. They're the enemy, you know, because right. of the strong rivalry between those oh, clubs. Yeah. And my mum convinced him, because I was only like three or four at the time, to buy me this shirt. And he's like, still to this day, he's like one of his biggest regrets in life. He's like, your first football shirt was a Liverpool shirt. What, he was what devastated. What four-year-old you found in Liverpool? Why did you want a Liverpool? No idea. Just no the idea. Red shirt. Yeah. But then Man you were red as well. Right. No idea. Just Maybe, maybe it was just, just an early rebellion thing. I just wanted right. to piss my dad off yeah. i don't know weird though but that was it i had the shirt one year and then it was man united you straight after that shirt? no i don't have any of them i used to have loads i used to go all the time to old trafford i think i stopped following football because it was always my connection to my dad and when my parents broke up me and him kind of disconnected for about five six years mm-hmm. and in that time i was like well that's my thing with him i don't want anything to do with it anymore kind of thing Got you know you. and that was also in sort of around exactly the same time when i was discovering music and girls and right. alcohol and <laughs> right, right so sport didn't really fall in line with that for then and then you know once you're out of something for a while you just sort of lose that thing that was the spark in the first place and i never truly got got back in so i only ever really watched like world cup and european england matches now that's okay. about it yeah um i like watching those too uh, Vinny, thanks for hanging out, dude. I really enjoyed chatting. Thank I want to end too. it on a random question. Okay. Do you know Vincent Gallo? You ever met him? Because I know he's in one of the Glassjaw videos, and that dude, for me, is one of the most fascinating. Do you know him? Do you know sort of his story or anything? I know his aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, I've seen yeah, a yeah, few yeah. of his films. Yeah. Uh, it was really weird that he ended up being in a Glassjaw video, but it was super cool, too. Do you um, know how that came about? Hmm... No, no, I don't. I have to find out. You got to do a Daryl interview. I think. Would he be a good one? Would he be up for something like this? Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he can talk. Yeah. He's got. He's got. Um, and man, you got you talk music with Daryl. He's an encyclopedia. It'll Love be. It. It'll be fun. Good yeah. times. Yeah. What yeah. are they up to? Do you know? They're touring the states right now. They are right. Yeah, I have some friends. Uh, I haven't really been on social media that much lately, except to say, "Hey, we're playing this show. Please come out." Is there a reason um, you just had enough of the bullshit and the noise? Taking um, the time out, or I just, just been, been too busy? I just been like, um, just kind of enjoying my time at home while I was there with the wife and. Um, trying to not look at the phone all the fucking time because it's just politics and craziness um and then you know i get over here and i do the traveling i don't have like i don't have the same phone service and all that yeah 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 uh but i i got on instagram today and i saw that um 
Daryl, I saw a video that my friend took because he went and saw them play and uh, just like heard some of this. I haven't listened to Glassjaw in a while and I heard those songs like, yeah, that's good. So yeah, they're on tour in the States right now with the used and they're playing like big clubs and having crazy shows, it looks like. Nice. Mm-hmm. And what's your plans after this run here in the UK? What do you do for the rest of this year and then beyond? And is I Am The Avalanche ever coming back? Uh, I hope so. Um, So for the rest of the year, we have a few movie life shows, um, but I'm going to go home. We're going to go travel to Texas for the holidays, um, to Houston, where my wife's from, and um, spend my first Christmas out of New York. Uh, How are you feeling about that? Excited? I feel feel good about it. Um, We have never spent a Christmas together because she always goes back to Texas, and that made sense, but we vowed that when we got married we would start to spend them together yeah. so we'll switch back and forth on it and um play a few holiday shows with the movie life um relax we've been on tour since mid-september so it's i could you're ready yeah i'll hang out ready for some r&r yeah and as far as the avalanche we're talking about doing a few shows in the like late winter in the states um really difficult to get those guys together to get all of us together, I should say, in the same room, let alone like book shows. But it looks like we're gonna be in business. So a few shows, the Avalanche thing, it was like, we wanted all the original guys to be in the group because we didn't wanna do much anymore. We wanted to slow it down. And now that we have that and everyone's got crazy careers and stuff, I mean, I was just, I just spent like a month trying to like nail everyone down to one weekend in late March six months you know ahead of time so <laughs> and also that's the state of touring like so many bands that you got to be out there right get your holds like on clubs way yeah. in advance so um, I hope Avalanche comes back here that would be really cool a lot harder to pull off than playing in New York and New Jersey and stuff like that you yeah, know? yeah 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 and any solo stuff in the diary um, I've been slowly writing, um, and I always play solo shows, and I, I'll always come back here with my guitar, So, um, especially London. I have this little trick where I bring my guitar, play in London, play in Liverpool, watch a match. Nice. That'll always be one of my things. So, uh, yeah, it's just I'll just keep everything moving, keep, keep all the wheels turning, and it's what you got to do. Life's Amen. too short to not be doing all this stuff that you got to do. Thank you, Vinny. Really enjoyed the chat, dude. Um, Thank you. See you again. Thank you, man. Suburbs in search of the city. Did you ever get there? Cause I waited for you. Get on, or are you still getting off? I'm turning the screw. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.